in this next talk on uprising where we're coming up out of things and into a new season uh, we're going to have a very honest talk about this next critical step it is needed if you are in a horrific season if there's been a conversation that stunned you a shocking day of discovery processing through divorce a friend that walked away, a hateful conversation, words spoken that branded your soul, words that may have been spoken a year ago or 15 years ago, but they still are creating significant challenges in you being all that you know God wants you to be. Whether it's an event that was very painful or a collection of hurt built up over time, Perhaps we would recognize that the next step might very well be forgiveness. But can we be honest that that next step of forgiveness is often a hard step to take? And I want to be quick to acknowledge that, that the power of God is greater than the difficulty in offering forgiveness, but it's hard when you've been hurt. Because you know that the person who wounded you can't heal you. And that being true, yet you're trying to figure out, uh, even though the battle's not flesh and blood, you've got this issue with this person. But knowing that the battle is not flesh and blood, that means spiritual warfare is working uh, very intentionally around past hurt to drive you into a season or years or maybe a life of resentment and bitterness that then becomes an even greater issue than the past hurt because it holds you in a prison where your personality, your purpose is all confined by that bitterness. It's like we know if we stuff the feelings of what happened, we can't heal from those feelings. And so this is not easy, but I say again that the power of God is greater and we can take this step by his help today. See, forgiveness is not this one and done. Forgiveness, and you may want to write this down somewhere, it's a decision and a process. So you can make the decision today to forgive, but then you surrender to a process that may take a long time in order to live the forgiveness. And here's what I mean by living out that forgiveness. You may say, Pastor, I forgave a situation that happened some time ago, but I'm still triggered. So did I forgive? Yes, you forgave, but you're still healing. See, there is the decision and then the process that's going to involve discipleship and healing. And there are many resources that the Lord will offer you in the process. But I, I acknowledge today that we have a journey before us, and God always empowers the journey. In the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, starting at verse 11, He says, give us today, give it to us like 
Help us to win this day. Give us this day. Give us the strength we need, our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This length of forgiveness will be based on the depth of the debt. I, I told everyone in the 9 o'clock that as a young pastor, this, this lady came to me after a service and said, I, I've been offended. I said, what's up? And she pointed to this person across uh, the auditorium that had not returned her salad bowls. And that was real. I, I just, it was real to her. Now, she got over that, and it didn't take as long because the debt wasn't as deep. But if there's been a betrayal, this, uh, the significant hurt, your mark, your life marked by very hurtful words, a spouse walking away, being unfaithful, a pastor not recognizing your gift or not treating you the way he or she should, a boss that mistreat, whatever, the, the deeper the debt, the longer the journey may take where you aren't experiencing the intense emotion that you once did when you're driving down a street and you see a building or you hear a song or you go to a certain place and those are places that had a significance in the story and those things bring it back up over and over again, you will get to a place where the intense emotion doesn't rush over you, and that will be a sign to you that you're moving farther and farther in the journey of healing, all under the power of forgiveness, because it's a decision and it's a journey. Verse 13 of the Lord's Prayer says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's pretty potent. That's clear. There's someone I greatly respect who deeply loves the Lord, was deeply hurt from betrayal, and, and spent... 200 hours studying the word forgiveness from Old and New Testament, and at their own recognition, it was to find a loophole that surely God didn't mean you have to forgive everything. Everything? Everything? See, it's hard. There's no loophole, but please notice the context of what I just read to you. It's sandwiched in between... Verse 13 that tells us to forgive, verses 15 and 16 is a verse about temptation and about the evil one, and it is showing you that at the epicenter of forgiveness will be spiritual warfare because the enemy of your soul does not want you to forgive and to walk in the freedom of forgiveness. We're going to enter a story today. And it's very important that you know the biblical framework of which we come when we talk about forgiveness is what I've just read to you. It's not based on feeling. It's not based on opinion. But forgiveness is based from the Scripture in how Jesus taught it. And it calls 
calls to us to surrender and, and walk in it, enter the journey. We're going to talk about a story today that involves a husband and wife, their kids, and you're going to see a redemptive story and a story of restoration. I want to be careful for you to know that if you entered a situation with your family or with your spouse and they weren't willing to take the journey, you can still, for you, you can still live a redemptive story. It takes everybody's surrender for there to be a restoration story. And you can't control everybody. But if you're doing your part, you can walk in freedom. For a son and a daughter in the house, if, if, if parents are in a unique situation and it's creating a lot of pain for you, you can't control them. There may be a restoration story. But I promise you there can be a redemptive story for you. For God, His grace and power is greater toward us than the actions of others toward us or around a situation that affects us. That is a great place to say, thank God that grace is that great. So just put this out there as a way to process the depth, the power that is in forgiveness but anything that is of this significance is going to call us to a journey, to a process. And the Lord is gracious in that. Today, we want you to see this, this power through our friends. That Kelly and I will interview and just allow their story to paint a picture where you may see yourself in, in one way or the other. And that you'll find some help and some hope and healing as we go through this story, our friends are Jeff and Ashley Hickman, and I want you to welcome them to the platform today. So three of the four of us on the platform are from Arkansas. There's only one Yankee on the platform. This, this is this is something I never could understand. We pastored, we pastored in, in Pine Bluff the first 11 years of our marriage, and they all thought I was a Yankee. I'm from Virginia, you guys. Like, we are like... Yeah, how my Virginia people. We we are like we are like the leaders of the South. Like we we are the South. So I never quite understand. Like, do they teach American history down there? They, they well? taught it in November. We were hunting. Hunting. That that, that. Yeah. Now that makes sense. That there makes we go. sense. <laughs> but welcome. These are our friends, Jeff and Ashley. We're so honored. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you in advance for sharing your story. It has proven to help so many already this weekend. Uh, Take us into uh, when you were married. Let's go back to that day. Sure. Uh, Ash and I both grew up in church all of our lives. We ran in the same circle of friends but never dated. Um, I attended Bible college after high school. Actually, the three of us, the, the three of us have something in common that Ashley's not a part of. It's Central Bible College in Springfield. When I graduated, came back home shortly after we started dating. Uh, funny story. Uh, our first date was instigated 
due to winning a bet I preached for her father, who was a pastor at the time. And uh, at lunch that day, I won a bet, and so she had to go out with me. I showed up at the front door, and there were herself and her best friend. She said, oh, by the way, uh, Felicia's going with us on our date tonight. So no worries. You know, we went, we paid, but months later, we married in August of 92, and we'll celebrate 31 years together by the grace of God. Amen. Amen. So here's the question. Uh, Take us into the story that required the Lord's help for a redemptive and restorative process. Um, At the age of 14, as a church-going, no better, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go out with girls that do, teenager, um, I saw my first pornographic magazine, and that was the moment that the enemy hit the bullseye of my soul, knowing that that would be the stronghold that he would use to destroy me with or try to destroy me with. Uh, For then the next almost three decades, I was bound in some way by this addiction. Fast forward to September of 2011, we'd been married for 19 years, and for several years, Ashley had always felt something was wrong, could never quite put her finger on what was going on with me. I'd become very distant, become very cold, uh, very rude, very mean, spirited in a lot of ways. Um, And on the Thursday evening prior to Labor Day in September of 2011, It was revealed to her. She found out that for the entirety of the 19 years of our marriage, uh, I had been involved in uh, what ultimately ended up being six different extramarital adulterous affairs. And you can imagine what happened in our home at that moment. Over that weekend from... Thursday forward, it, this came out to to you, Ashley, and then you had to tell your daughters, and then your boss, which was a pastor. So this this was was a deeply impacting weekend, and we'll we'll get into the shock of that, the the pain of that. But I I would just like to ask this question of you, Jeff. Talk about ownership and repentance, like just no blame shifting, that moment where you humbled yourself before the Lord and said, God, I need your grace. We all have moments in our life that we will never forget. If you have children, you'll never forget the days your children were born, your wedding day, most if not all of us will always remember where we were on September 11th, um, 2001. For me, one of those dates was the Friday afternoon, Thursday evening revelation, Friday afternoon. Our children had gone to school. The questions we'd spent all night long up, questions and crying and whys. And and I had given just enough of the story and that I had to 
on what she had found out, but I had not yet come clean with everything. And there became a truly a life-shifting moment on Friday afternoon. We were sitting in our living room. Ashley was on the couch. I was sitting on the, the floor beneath her. And I don't even remember what question she asked specifically at that moment. But it was as if the Spirit of God, the voice of God, not audibly, but the Spirit of God spoke to me and said these words. I'll never forget it said, this is the moment that you've been waiting for for the last 28 years. What you do right now will define who you are the rest of your life. And if you do not come clean to your wife and ultimately clean to everyone, you will never be free in your life. And I had to determine at that moment that nothing else mattered than the freedom that God wanted to give to me in that moment, in that decision. I mean, you can imagine, I was facing not being married any longer, uh, the very distinct possibility of, at best, a removed relationship for the rest of my children's life as their dad. But I determined that that moment, okay, God, I'm at the edge of the cliff, I'm going to jump off and trust that you're going to catch me and carry me the rest of the way. And so I opened my mouth and I began to tell Ashley everything from the age of 14 all the way through to what she had found out the night before and then all of it. And I tell people this, at that moment, it was the single most devastating but also liberating moment in my life facing the possibility of losing it all. But I cannot tell you the relief and the burden that was lifted at that moment from just exposing the sin that I had hidden for so long, for almost three decades. And I knew it was going to be a painful process, and I didn't know what it was going to look like, but I knew the one thing I needed to do was not say, okay, well, it was this fault or it was a, I was a product of my home upbringing or anything else because let's face it, we all like to blame somebody or something else most of the time rather than own our own stuff. Adam did in the garden. God, it was you who gave me this woman. She made me do it. He also blamed God. God, if you hadn't given me her, she wouldn't have caused me to stumble. You, you see the blame? But I knew I couldn't do that. I had to, it, I, I chose. It was a choice that I had been living for my entire life, living in sin. And the same choice that I made to live in sin was the same choice that I had to, I had to throw myself before the mercy of God and say, Lord, if you will, and I'm so thankful he does, if you will forgive me, I will do whatever it cost me to make sure that I live life free from this moment on, because what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet still lose his soul? Thank you. The honesty, that's that 180. I'm putting it all out there and let light shine on it. And God, I humble myself to the journey. Ashley, my goodness. Take us through that weekend from your perspective, um, just what that felt like, um, and 
the process that you took to um, just begin forming next steps and and that, but just what that was that was like. The fleshly part of me um, wanted to do a lot of other things than what I did. And um, I didn't do those things because I would be in jail today. But um, <clears throat> that's true. Um, but what I did do was when my girls got home from school that day, I um, just grabbed clothes and our toothbrushes and my dog, and we just we went to Arkansas, where my family um, lives. And the plan was to figure out what are we going to do to get through this. Okay, like not like go back. I was done. I was not going back. I did not want to be in the same room with him. The pain, the anger. Those of you who have been in this room who have experienced this understand what I'm saying. Um, but I did not want to go back. I just needed to get with my parents to figure out how are we going to get our things? Can I stay with you until we can figure things out? Um, where are my kids going to go to school? It's Labor Day weekend. I can't get a job this fast. How am I going to get a job? I mean, just I was literally already forward focused on where do we go from here to get away from him? And that evening, I finally was by myself. I'd had no sleep for 48 hours. I couldn't cry anymore. I just felt numb. And then I began to just throw a fit to Jesus. And I asked him why in the world he would let this happen to me. I was a good kid. I was not perfect, but I was a good kid. I led worship at church. I was involved in youth. I... My parents had a curfew at 10 o'clock. I was home at 5 till 10. I mean, I was a good kid. I did try to live for the Lord to the best of my, my ability. And I said, Jesus, you knew when I married Jeff in 1992, this is what my life was going to be. Why would you allow this to happen to me? Very angry, very, very angry. And after I got finished throwing my fit, Jesus asked me, he said, are you finished with your fit? And I said, I think I'm finished and he said, okay, then let's have a talk. And he said, do you believe I'm the God that your parents raised you to serve? And do you believe I'm the God that you've raised your children to serve? The God who says nothing is impossible. Yes, Lord, I believe that. Do you believe that I paid the price on the cross for your sin, for salvation, for mankind? Yes, Lord, I believe it. Do you believe I paid that price for Jeff? No, I don't. I didn't. I mean, I didn't want to believe that because I was so mad and hurt and angry. Um, but I was like, yes, Lord, I know you did. And I knew like every scripture verse I had memorized throughout my lifetime, worship songs, poignant things from sermons in my life just began to wash over me like ocean waves. And the Lord said, Ashley, how do you know that I have not allowed you to be in this circumstance because you're the one who can help lead Jeff back to me. I knew in that moment I had a choice to obey or disobey. And I also knew that every step I made from that point forward was going to be a faith legacy for my kids. I could either choose to walk out what I had told them we should believe and how we should act all our lives, or I could shrink back from that. You have to understand, I had no guarantees. 
I didn't know how he was going to act when I got back. I didn't know if he'd be packed up and be gone. I didn't know what I was going to walk into. But what I did know is I could trust the nature and the character of God and that I had to do that for my family. So let's talk about then the journey, that that's the decision, not knowing what his actions or reactions would be, but that was your decision, now the process. What did your forgiveness process look like? For me, initially, it was literally... Like, forgiveness is a decision and a process, but I had to make that decision, like, sometimes minute by minute. Like, I had to remind myself, this is the decision you made, because it was much easier to want to get revenge than it was to offer forgiveness. And those are the times that I would have to literally bring every thought captive, like the Bible talks about, and bring them into obedience of Christ. And the more I chose that, the more the further apart those moments were. Um, but it was a conscious decision every day not to think about things, not to, it would have been really easy for me to say, just think about where our life could be now, but no, you messed everything up. I could have dwelt on that, but instead I looked at it as here's a mark in the road and here's where we're moving forward. Did you guys go see someone? Uh, what was some of the steps you took? Sure. We, um, we immediately began uh, attending counseling. The Lord provided for us the ability to have a born-again, spirit-filled counselor. And as spirit-filled believers, I can't stress the importance of that enough. In whatever vein you might uh, need counseling, if that is you, I highly, please, find somebody who knows what it means to be born again, knows the power of God, and understands the power of the Holy Spirit, because that was a dynamic that we desperately needed to come back into our marriage that had been missing for so long. Um, but we attended counseling. At the very beginning, um, we probably should have set up shop in his office, uh, honestly. We were there three times a week. I would go by myself. Ashley would go by herself. We would go together. Very intense, unpacking all of these things, the whys, the what fors, uh, the reasons behind. Um, how are you going to fix this moving forward? I mean, just all sorts wow. of things, books to read. Uh, I mean, the, the work, let me tell you, repentance can be momentary, but there is a lot of work that is required to walk in that and live in that as well. What are some of the the things you would tell us about the journey? We also attended um, on two different occasions, Emerge Ministries in Akron, Ohio, which is a three-day, the program that we went to was three days of intense, like for hours. (laughs) Without, with just a lunch break all day long, like you're at a job, eight to five, intense counseling, hard work, hashing out the details, and then at night you are free to process. We did that once in 2011, October of 2011, and then again in May of 2015. Wow. And we are talking in minutes what we know was years. Uh, what in your opinion, was the amount of time that you started to think, you know what, we 
we're going to make it and we're not just going to grind through. But you could sense freedom was at work. It was a good three years. The first wow. three years, we, there were almost daily conversations of, are we really going to be able to do this? But by the time we got to three years, we're like, okay, we are going to do this. We're going to make it. We don't know how the rest of this is going to play out, but we're going to do this. Wow. It's good for us to know that this is intense and it takes time. I want to make sure for everybody in the room who may be going through a story uh, where the forgiveness is needed, what we're seeing here is that in your story, both of you were willing. If she returned and Jeff was not willing and he continued in that addiction, or if he said, I'm willing, but he was continuing in that addiction, then though I'm not a professional counselor, I'm just a, a pastor, if you met with me, I would say, you need to create specific, strong boundaries. So every story has its dynamics. And if there's an addiction that's going on, there's certain kind of focus that's got to be on that. They can't be reconciled while he is nurturing an addiction. So her willingness to do that would mean we've got to set some boundaries for, for your own dignity, for your own sanity, for your own spiritual walk, for your family. And I, I would still encourage that, that it, the grace of God and the, the biblical worldview that you're coming from also says that we are not what we do. And please get that in your heart. And if your spouse you're believing for them to return to the Lord, you can still praise God that they're the son or the daughter of God, they're the creation of God, while you know their choices are sinful and inappropriate and disobedient toward God, and you don't condone that at all. There can still be, because be, you're trying to manage that for your whole family. And so I would just really encourage that you look at the dynamics of your story, and if there is a need for boundaries, you set those boundaries. In your story, you were able to both submit to this, this journey, and um, I want to talk about trust building. Like, how did you process to a place of trust? And Ashley, let's start with you. I think it's really important for people to know that in order for someone to gain your trust, you have to give them the opportunity to earn it. And in situations like this, it's one of the most difficult things to do because we're fearful of getting hurt again, so we don't want to give that trust, give them the opportunity to earn that trust, but you have to. And I remember where I was standing the day that the Lord said to me, Ashley, I've got you and the girls. We had set a lot of things in place to build that trust back. I'll let Jeff tell about some of those. But I was starting to feel like his police officer, and it was getting too much for me to bear in my healing process. And so I remember specifically the Lord saying, Ashley, I've got you, and I've got your girls. Everything is going to be okay 
you, you can't fix him. It's up to me. Um, so there's some release there that has to take place for that trust building to, to be in place. But we did have to set boundaries and, and some deal breakers. And we had to have some really hard conversations about attitudes and the lack of emotional maturity and some different things that we brought into our marriage that had to be addressed. But then there were some physical things that we, we put in place too. So uh, do, do we have any flip phone people still in the building? One, God bless you. Because you see, to rebuild trust, I had to go back to ground zero. Up to this point, every uh, computer, every laptop, every iPad, every iPhone, uh, I had all the passwords. She didn't know them because, you know, I, I had to keep my secret safe of what I was doing all this, all this other time. So I gave up, relinquished all of that, every bit of that. I went back to an old flip phone. Um, for the longest time, I, I didn't go anywhere by myself because up to this point, uh, I mean, you can imagine the places that I would go and the things that I would do that she didn't know anything about. So for, the, for a while, I couldn't go anywhere by myself. Once that was reestablished, we also said, okay, we know how long it takes to get to Walmart at the time we were living in Owasso. We know it only takes a few moments to get there. When you get there, call me. Um, okay, I'm here. Uh, you know, if, if it was too much. And, and I know I, I can see some of the faces of the men in this place. Like, can, why? Well, you have to. You have to. I mean, it's all part of the trust process. If, if we're going to rebuild this thing, every single part of it has to be rebuilt. And so I, I had to relinquish those things. And you know what? Now, here we are, will soon be 12 years this September, 12 years removed. And it has become such a lifestyle. I still find myself, I'll call her on my way. Hey, I, I just got here. I'll see you in a few minutes. Because I want that. I still want that. I still want that. I don't, I don't want her. I don't want her to think for one second that I'm not the man that God has changed me into on, any yeah. longer. Yeah. And so that's yeah. part of the heart change. Come on. That's part of the heart change. So good. Uh, I read that time plus believable actions are the formula for rebuilding trust, and that's what you're doing, and I commend that. Uh, we're going to go into one last observation about your whole family. I just want to point out that their first and foremost focus was on their their covenant, and I just thank you for honoring your covenant in the way the Lord told you to because it's very meaningful. Also, not only in rebuilding your relationship and your family, um, Many years down the road, when you when you're a minister and this kind of thing happens, uh, I'm credentialed with the assemblies of God. Jeff was credentialed with the assemblies of God, and when this kind of thing happens, those credentials are removed, and there are restrictions that are placed on the permission to do ministry, and understandably so. Uh, in the right timing. 
you very well may be given an opportunity to join, in addition to all their counseling, another two-year journey of more counseling, more discipleship that can lead to the renewal of those credentials. And Jeff also did that, and he is once again a fully credentialed minister of the Assemblies of God. And I think that's a great part of the story. We're going to have a great altar call here in a moment, but even when we've prayed for everybody that needs this kind of help in their life, I want us as a church to pray over Jeff and Ashley because they're going to take this story from church to church to church. And because there is an attack on marriage today, and these are the kinds of of things and dynamics, and there's got to be a couple like you that are willing to do this and to let people see how raw it gets, the journey, but look at what God can do. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your openness with us today. Kelly, talk about, in closing, just a couple of the family dynamics. You know, I I get to the church early on Sunday morning. Usually the sun is coming up, and I'm driving east, so I'm seeing the sunrise, and this morning it was so spectacular. And I just remembered, I was looking out the windshield and I was like, God, only you can do this. And I'm just sitting here with you guys. And the only thing I can think of is that only God could do this. And it gives so much hope to wherever anyone finds themselves in this story or something similar, that he can do it. And when he does it, it's not just partially, but if you'll trust him over time. The things that we go through in our life, God could fix those things in an instant. We understand that, right? He could do it in a moment, but he knows us. And we might not understand our need of him three months from now, two and a half years from now, if everything was just fixed in a moment, we would probably, probably he knows us that we would maybe drift and we'd lose sight of our need for him. And after all, everything that he did was to be with us. Everything that he did in coming to earth, dying for us, rising again, giving us his spirit, everything was for relationship. And so... In this story, to me, one of my favorite parts of it is that the faith that you had strictly in him, that he had you and he had the girls. Because, you know, your, your instinct when you didn't know anything, just in the, in the movement of that weekend, <laughs> I can't even imagine. But your instinct as a mom was, I've got to make sure the girls are okay. Well, you know, what is our next step and that sort of thing. And then in your conversation with God, you turned and you're like, oh, no, this is the, this is the main thing, and then everything else will happen from there. But will it? That's something that the enemy wants us always to question. And so I think it's important that you all hear something that is really special, and that it, that, um, that's two letters, one from each of their um, beautiful daughters, very gifted. And um, Peyton's the younger of the girls, and um, she just married her husband, Austin, just last summer. And so as Ron said, this is a pro- forgiveness is a 
is a decision and a process. And so it took time for the girls to be able to process through and, and really reestablish and make that even better maybe than what it was, but just in, in the healed provision of God's grace. But this is Peyton's letter that she read to Jeff on her wedding day last summer. Listen to these words. Dad, 11 years ago, our lives changed forever. My 10-year-old self wasn't sure what would happen or if I'd even have you a part of my life anymore. But God, you chose life, Jesus, and us. You chose to be the husband and father God designed you to be. So first, thank you. Dad, I know your heart is sad that you weren't officiating today, but I wanted to tell you why. You are my dad, and that's who I wanted you to be today. Considering you could have not been standing in front of me today, or it could have looked much different, I want my dad to be my dad. Thank you for endless laughter and lessons I will carry with me through life. You are the GOAT, greatest dad of all time. Love you, Peyton. And just so you know, the faithfulness of God, today, Peyton and her husband, Austin, are youth pastors in a church in California, loving God, serving God, having an impact. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And then their oldest daughter wrote this. Dear Dad, I'm sorry it's taken me this long to tell you, but I forgive you. At camp, it became the real deal. I've been trying so hard to get to this place, and I hope you know that I'm sorry my bitterness got in the way, but I've let go of that. Thank you for being such a great father. I don't know any man that would change and fix what has been broken. This line stands out to me so much. A child so wants to love and does love and so wants to honor. And she knew what had happened. And she said, she honored you with with these words. She gave you honor. She said, I don't know any man that would change and fix. She saw the work. What has been broken like you have. I love you, Perry. Perry opened our worship service today. She and her husband, Mason, for two years, have been a very loved and integral part of the ministry of this church. And as a testimony to the power of God and his grace that he can and he will restore when we obey him and we trust him wholeheartedly. I would like for you to help me welcome Mason and Perry to the stage this morning. Just stand with me, everybody. Worship team, you can come. This has become a sacred space 
with your eyes closed, I want you to hear carefully this opportunity that the Lord is giving all of us. If you're a young person and you're walking something out like Perry did, and you can't control, she didn't know what her dad would do or her mom, but she had the opportunity of a redemptive story. And you do too. She then got to be a part of a story of restoration. That may very well happen for you. But the part that you can control is your heart, your choices. To every student, in a moment, I'm going to say, if you, if you need to receive or give forgiveness, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand before I do that. To every adult in the room, your story may be so different than the one you've heard today, but the need to forgive is so strong. Maybe you need to forgive yourself. This is your day. Maybe there is a family, a husband and a wife, and this is speaking very, very specifically. So here's the question to every person from the front to the back. If you need the work of forgiveness in your life, you need a decision to be made today and you are willing to surrender to a process, would you just lift your hand right now? Say, that's me. Yeah, just quickly. You know who you are. That's it. Say, that's me. That's me. That's me. You can put your hands down. We're going to begin to sing, and we need to pray. And here's the leading that I have, is to ask you if you lifted your hand or you wanted to, because I know there are many. I'm going to ask you to come forward, and you can kneel or you can stand. But I believe the physical step of coming forward, the Lord wants it to be a message to you that you're entering a process. And this is going to write forgiveness over yesterday. It's going to write victory over today and vision over tomorrow. Your decision is going to be followed by action. And God is going to respond with the grace greater than past hurt. Grace greater than sin, grace greater than what bitterness is trying to do. So if you lifted your hand or you wanted to, the minute they begin to sing, let that decision and action start today. This is a sacred moment. You can sense it. Do not harden your heart toward this. You may not have it all figured out. Just enter the process. Let God have your heart. As they sing, if you lifted your hand, I invite you to come.